Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. It's 2023. Oh, how exciting. You know what people don't talk enough about, as far as I'm concerned? What's that? Just do, It's something that, 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 to me, should be, like, I don't see why people wouldn't talk more about it. People don't talk enough about New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, at no point do you ever hear, like, people do entire podcasts or New Year's resolutions. Very, or, a very underreported aspect of is. the New Year turning <laughs> is is what, what people's resolutions are. Yes, no, absolutely. Nobody ever starts, like, an interview or anything by, hey, do you have any New Year's resolutions this year or anything? Nope. Nobody. Never I happens. Mean, what? Why not? Why won't people talk about this? I don't know. It's really weird. What are your New Year's resolutions, Joe? <laughs> my New Year's resolution is to get this book done. Well, okay, let me let me say two things. My first New Year's resolution is to tell you I am writing a book. And I, I, I'm sorry that it's taken this long. I mean, this is this is frankly it. shocking. <laughs> And I am in the middle of writing it. I am in the middle of actually the the final stage of writing it. The book is actually written. Uh, it's called Why We Love Baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first draft is done. Uh, there is a little secret that you know about the book that uh, we're not going to share. Right. Or should we share it? Well, we could tease it. You want to tease it? Let's tease it. Let's tease the little secret. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> We can tease it by telling people what it is. All right, is. just yeah, yeah we'll my- tease it. We'll tease it by explaining exactly what it is in great detail. <laughs> there might be a Michael Shore appearance in the book. That's all I'm saying. That's all. Maybe that's a good tease. Yeah, I I have a written presence in the book. I contributed yes. to the book in a certain way that I think will be enjoyable for folks who have listened uh, unnecessarily listened to this <laughs> podcast for the last eighteen years. It's it's it'll it'll make people happy. Michael is not the only uh, special guest star. There are other what? special guest stars. I, I thought know. I was special. <laughs> you're you're the most special guest. Oh, star. thank you, uh, thank you. Yes. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm in I'm in the middle of the rewrite, which is both my favorite part of writing the book uh, is is the rewrite phase. I love this part because I'm just flying through chapter after chapter. Uh, and also my least favorite part because it's like, wow, that's it. Like the, once I once I do this, I the book is done. I turn it in. I it's out of my control. I I have to listen to what other people have to say about it. Like like everything everything is gone from you know I I all of the all of my control is gone. But I'm in the middle of that. So my my resolution is, uh, and I should get it done. But you know by the middle of January is finishing my book. And then I'm done. The rest of the year, I'm set. I've, I've done my entire New Year's resolution. Fantastic. That's a great... It's great to have a New Year's resolution that you can accomplish by January 8th, and then you're like, I did it. I'm done. Like, if you say you want to go to the gym more, you got to do that all year. But if you say right. you want to finish a book that you're 99% done with on December 31st, that's... you. This is a great life hack. Do a thing all year and then just just barely don't finish it so that your new year's resolution can be i got to finish that thing and then wrap it up in the first week and then you're golden wrap it up and then you're done then you're out you're complete look that's how people 
That's not, everybody knows that. That's how New Year's resolutions go anyway. Nobody goes to the gym after week two or right. whatever. Of, you know. Do you have a New Year's resolution? Do you do New Year's resolutions? There's a joke by Steve Martin from a comedy album he did like 50 years ago that I always think about when it comes to New Year's resolutions, which is he says, like, you know, I, it's important to have goals. And he says, when you set goals, it's what's good is to have, I don't want to do some big giant goal. I want to do a series of smaller goals. It's important to have smaller goals that you can just, you know, easily accomplish and then move on to the next one. And so my goal is I want to be the all being master of time, space and dimension. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember hearing that joke when I was like 10 and it blew my mind. I thought it was so That's funny. So good. So That's my New Year's so resolution good. every year is to be the all being master of time, space and dimension. Sure. Um, but uh, I do. I, I have another idea for a, a TV show that I've been working on. And I think ah. I would simply say that my New Year's resolution is to like get that TV show up and running. It seems like a weird thing to do to say that my New Year's resolution is to just do the thing I always do. <laughs> uh, but that is it is a it's you know, it's hard to get these things sold yeah. and written and made and stuff. And so I'm working on that now. And, and hopefully will that will be my 20. 23 project oh so good that's so and good. i want to sign Raphael devers to an 11 year 331 million dollar contract i i have got news for you what this is this, this is i have got news <laughs> we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into the red sox finally doing uh something that everybody thought they should have been doing like for the last five years and and uh we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute okay uh first i think we should well there are two things we should do first First thing we should do is tell people what we are planning for next week's podcast because it is it is special. The, uh, people, I'm sure, listened uh, to our last podcast. I mean, we 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 know that it, you know this is uh, America's number one sports podcast. So mm -hmm. we know that you heard last week as we uh, began to tease our next charity, which is the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig. Center ALS uh, Center ALS Center at Columbia University. Correct. Um, and uh, and so we are going to raise money. Uh, well, first of all, we're going to give all the money we make from this uh, ridiculous thing uh, to them. You know mm -hmm. that 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 will all go to them. But we're also this is the first one where we are going to do a special fundraising project. That's uh, right. We have an additional and, additional fundraising in addition to the money we get paid for doing the podcast going to the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center, which I should note uh, briefly, when Sarah Langs was on with us uh, last yes. time, I repeatedly referred to it <laughs> as the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALCS Center, yes. which I which in uh, seems like uh, I'm a dummy. But in my defense, <laughs> the merging of Baseball and Sarah Langs and something called an ALS Center. I think it's weirdly appropriate that I called it the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALCS Center. <laughs> I'm I'm, def I'm defending myself as like my brain was thinking about both the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center and baseball, and I just lumped everything into one giant uh, misnomer. I'm, uh, I'm with it. I'm okay, plus, so many, I'm off the hook on this. <laughs> plus, how many? How many times do you start saying AL and not finish it with CS? CS. Like, it's I mean, always yeah, it ALCS. It just rolls off the tongue. Um, so all of the money we get from the podcast in the next uh, quarter, fiscal quarter, goes to the Eleanor Lou Gehrig ALS Center. However, we have also decided 
that we're going to do this uh, additional fundraiser thing. So here's the deal. We're going to uh, hopefully do this next week. So stay tuned. Yes. Definitely listen next week. The idea here is this. I have purchased several boxes <laughs> of unopened 1993 Topps baseball cards. Right. I have also purchased a yes. box of unopened 1980 <laughs> Topps baseball cards. Very exciting. Very exciting. So... 1993 is Derek Jeter's rookie card, and 1980 is Ricky Henderson's rookie card. Yes. So we are going to open packs of these cards live on air. Live uh, on the podcast. On the podcast next week, and we are going to just be absolutely delighted at every (laughs) single one of these cards and every single one of these players that comes out. If we get a great card... In one of these uh, packs, like if we get a Ricky Henderson rookie or if we get a Derek Jeter rookie, we are going to somehow or another auction those off or sell them or something. We will donate that money to the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center. But in addition, we are going to have hopefully by next week, we were going to have a donation page dedicated podcast donation page at the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Center. And anyone who donates, we're going to say twenty five dollars or more will then enter your name in a random drawing and we will pick five lucky people out right. of that drawing at the end of this, uh, whatever it is, two or three months here. We'll pick five lucky people and those five people will get the following. Number one. Yes. They will get to choose any baseball card they want <laughs> of any of the ones we picked out, except for potentially a Ricky Henderson rookie that's worth like right. thousands of dollars. The super big ones, no. Other right. than that. But other than that, of- you can pick any card you want. In fact, you could probably pick more than one, let's face it. <laughs> if you want a, a, a uh, Alfonso, uh, Antonio Alfonseca, and a Bill Doran, you can get yes, both of those. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. But also, you will get, when you choose that card, you will get a a singular piece of writing from Joe Posnanski, <laughs> legendary award-winning sports writer, Joe Posnanski, member of the Polish Hall of Fame, the Polish yes, American Hall right. of Fame. You will get an, a Baseball 100-style essay about that player. That's right. That you've chosen, that you are the only person on earth to have this. You will get that <laughs> sent to you. And I don't know, I'm going to do something to you. I don't know what I'm going to I'm going to write a joke about him or something like that. <laughs> but uh, we don't know exactly what I, how I'm going to contribute to this. But everyone who donates $25 or more to the dedicated page, which again, hasn't been set up yet. So don't, don't give money yet. Let us get this page up and running. And then anyone who gives 25 bucks or more will get to choose a card and have Joe write an essay about that player you can pick a player from your favorite team or just a player who's funny or anything you want. You can pick it at random and then you will get uh, Joe will put all of the a list of all of the guys that we find in these packs on his sub stack and you'll be able to pick one and get yes. an essay about that guy. Did I get all that right? And that's right. And I and I think we said we would get them uh Signed copies of, uh, oh, of the book. Thanks signed copies of your book, The Baseball 100. Signed copy of my book, How to Be Perfect. Signed copies of just some random book that you want us to sign. Right. Well, I don't care. Right. We'll yeah. sign a copy of we'll Gone Girl if you want us to. <laughs> <laughs> How many Gone Girl books have you signed already in your life? Oh, my, I can't even count. Thousands, I think. Dozens. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so so uh, we'll look for all of that. So next week, and we also want to try to have Sarah come back on with us to help us because we think that nothing would delight Sarah Langs more than opening packs of 1993 baseball cards <laughs> because nothing would delight us more and she likes baseball more than we do 
Um, and also, we should also maybe try to get friend of the podcast Howard Bryant on to open packs of the 1980 cards because Howard wrote the now definitive biography of Ricky Henderson entitled Ricky, which is available for sale anywhere you buy your books. And, uh, and it's fantastic. Would, and is great. And and maybe we, it would be very exciting if Howard somehow could open a pack of 1980 Top Space Baseball <laughs> cards and find a Ricky Henderson rookie in there. There's so many possibilities here we could do. We could also so get many. friend of the... Somebody, friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Colin Hanks, on here because you know we've talked about bringing That's him right. back. That's he's right. He wanted to come back, and uh, he would probably ninety three might be right in his strike zone. I would think. Well, uh, I a, mean, uh, look, he's my age. He and I are the same age. Yeah, that's He's a baseball zone. 93. fan. 93. I was 18 in 1993. I mean, Oh, that's your strike zone. I that think is, that's that is dead solid perfect <laughs> of baseball nerddom. Um, I will tell you, so I bought four boxes of these 1990. 1993 is not a great set no. uh, at all. It's Jeter's really the only rookie uh, card that really matters in that set. Um, so I have already opened, as you know, a few packs of these cards just because I couldn't help myself. And the names, oh God, the names, they're just so wonderful. We're, it is going to be, if you, listen, this is what I promised to you listening out there. If you like the sound of Joe Posnanski and me giggling uncontrollably, <laughs> you are really going to want to tune in when we open packs of 1993 oh, Tops Baseball Oh, it's going to be a giggle fest, man. It is just going to be... I laughed so be- hard at every card that came out. It just is so wonderful. I mean, it's, by the way, it's 30 years ago. It doesn't That's seem incredible. like it's that long ago. It's 30 years ago 30 years ago yeah so anyway that'll hopefully be next week tune in for that whether sarah can join us or not we don't know yet but at at the very least hopefully we will have our dedicated page donation page at the eleanor lee garrig als center set up you can donate 25 bucks and start the process of being entered in the lottery to win all of these goodies that right. we have probably and, and i would imagine this will be a multi-part series i mean there are enough boxes that we'll oh, probably i have, have three boxes of of 36 packs each like where this could yeah. go on for a very <laughs> this long could go time on for a very long time <laughs> very very long time which is great which is which is great all right i don't want to i don't want to take the the podcast on a downer but i do feel like we should at least take it uh, briefly down because of the awful awful thing that happened Monday night uh, in the uh, during the Bills and Bengals game um, and the the reason I want to bring it up I mean I don't know that what there is to add at this point I mean you know we, we we all know what happened and we all know the reaction and we can argue and about the NFL's sort of cold-hearted, initial reaction and their attempts to try to make up for it and all of that stuff. But the question I want to ask you is, and and I realize this was oddly fluky in a lot of ways, but even so, why do, why do we watch this game? Why do we watch professional football? Great question. Don't have an answer. Uh, I mean, there, there is a, a blunt and straightforward answer, which is that the game is still really fun. It's, it's so an, fun. It's an exciting it's game. So fun. It's um it's in even bad games uh can be incredibly dramatic and exciting. You are, there's nothing quite like a the a, a team being down by 4 points with a minute 10 left on the clock and one timeout at their own 14-yard line. It's just you feel even if you don't care about the teams your adrenaline starts firing. They start putting a drive together. Somebody makes an incredible catch. A defender makes an incredible play. It is still 
the most uh, I don't know. It's the most exciting. It's the most end, gripping. It, sport. It, it's the most gripping end game, right? Like there, yes. bas- basketball is a pretty gripping end game because there's a lot of scoring and you have those opportunities for like this team ties it up, this team hits a long three, this team gets an and one, this team steals the ball, like, but. There's also like 12 timeouts in the last three minutes of right. basketball games. And as a result, you can fall into these kind of morasses of fouling and free throws and whatever. Football as an end game is pretty unbeatable. And so there is an endorphin uh, a rush that happens that you cannot control if you're a sports fan. It just overtakes you. It it blots out your rational understanding of how inhumane and unpleasant the game is for the people who play it and you just get caught up in the excitement and you're a million miles away and you can't hear the injuries happening on the field you can't feel the pain of the players as they get mashed into and so you just get caught up in the excitement that's why we why i don't think it's anything more complicated than that no i think you're right i will look i mean we should say as we are talking about this damar hamlin who is the the player who was uh, I mean, essentially, his life stopped. I mean, right? They had to yeah. revive him on the field. As of right now, he's in the hospital. There seem to be maybe a couple of, of promising signs. It's too early to tell, but I, he's not breathing on his own yet, uh, even as we speak. But, you know, look, the, the thing that I started to think about is all of the things, and I agree with all of it. I, I there's nothing quite like watching a football game. I mean, there's nothing quite yeah. like the excitement. It's not just the end game. It's that at any moment you might see something so absurd. You might see some catch or some throw or some hit or some move or some, you know, whatever that just blows your mind. There's there's nothing else that can jolt you like a, like a football game can. But I, I started to think about all of these things that we just – there's no other sport – other than to some degree soccer, but we, we know that so much of that is acting, where routinely there are guys just laid out on the ground, you know, with, with, with incredible injuries. And our response is, oh, let's take a break. You know, let's go to a commercial while they tend to the wounded. And then, and then the game just goes on. I mean, it's it really is something that we just have to constantly like close one part of our minds and hearts to. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about this on the Lebetard show the other day and I know I'm far from the first person to make the point, but the, the usual way this happens is someone suffers an incredibly scary injury, a career threatening injury, a Ryan Shazier type injury. Yeah, He is yeah. carted off the field. Everybody claps and the game starts again and it's second Just and four on. and the crowd yeah. starts cheering. And then later you're like, Oh, I hope that guy's okay. No, he's not. He was paralyzed. He, t- he has a, <laughs> he has a 15, okay. 15 yeah. year journey to be able to walk again. And it, th- the degree to which this was more severe than that even is yeah. what really shook people up. Like we, we have accepted without question. We have accepted as a country career-ending injuries happening during games right in front of us that don't even stop the game for more than a commercial break. We have accepted that and we're fine with it. Yeah, Career-ending, life-altering. Life-altering, life-threatening in some cases injuries. I mean, there are... What's that story of Jason? Was it uh, 
Jason Taylor played with like a catheter in his arm yeah. during a game. I mean, it is a it is a monstrosity. The game is a monstrosity that we have just accepted, internalized, and are fully on board with. And I don't know. I mean, again, we're late to this story. Apologies. All of this stuff has been discussed to some degree or another, probably on other podcasts or reports you've listened to. But DeMar Hamlin was only playing in the game because Micah Hyde had a career-threatening neck injury yeah. earlier this season. Did anyone even remember that that happened to Micah Hyde? You might go, nope. oh, what, what happened to Micah Hyde? He was good. Why isn't he on this team? I remember reading a story. I think you and I have talked about this. I remember reading a story about Al Toon, the old Jets receiver. Sure. Al Toon, when I was a kid, there were a couple of years in the mid-80s, early 80s, mid-80s. Al Toon was unguardable. Al Toon was yeah, incredible. He was fantastic. He was yes. an incredible receiver, big and strong and fast. And then one year, I don't remember what year it was, he just wasn't on the team anymore. And it was like, huh, <laughs> all right. And there was a different guy wearing his number and a different guy playing receiver for the Jets. And and I forgot all about Al Toon. And then years later, I read a report, a story about NFL injuries and what happens to NFL players and he is, you know, I in my memory, at least, I'm sure I have the details wrong. I apologize. Crippling injuries, just unable to unable to function, unable to walk without aid, unable to, like, go about his day. And the this is the this was discussed a little bit on the Lebertard show and and other places. But people wonder in the in the moment of feeling helpless, of the moment of like impotence of like, what do you do? You love this game. It's hard to rip it out of your soul and throw it in the garbage can for good, although some I know have done it. It's hard to divorce yourself from something you've been watching all your life. What can you do? Support the players. The answer is support the yeah. players. The answer is yeah. when 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 the players go on strike, don't call them greedy. Don't side <laughs> with ownership. Support the players. Uh, Dominique Foxworth pointed out he hasn't even been in the league long enough to collect his health care. Or his pension. It's ridiculous. He, he has, yeah, like the, 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 you have to play in the league for three years before you're eligible for pension and health care. That shouldn't be the case. You should be eligible for health care immediately upon being drafted or signed to a roster. Like you should be eligible for a pension immediately on, upon signing your first contract. These, like, if, if we're never going to make the game safe, which is, I think, impossible to do, then the next best thing is to dramatically improve the care and attention that the league gives to its players while they are playing and after they have stopped playing. So if there's any question about what you as a fan can do, that's the answer. Like get behind the players when they're in their contract negotiations, support them, realize that, that people like, uh, like commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, who has, since he's owned the team for the last 20 years, has done nothing but run the team into the ground, fail miserably at his job, sexually harass his employees, have an, yep. a culture and an, uh, of, of harassment and abuse that permeated the entire industry. And his punishment will be making about three and a half billion dollars on the sale of his team. Maybe six billion. I mean, well, like I mean, numbers... I mean, net. I'm saying, oh, yeah, net. yeah, net. Like, like, yeah. Eight, two and a half billion. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you're right. I, I remember uh, a few years ago, you know, Luke Keekley uh, was just a fantastic, fantastic player for the, for the Panthers. I mean, made player of the year, a defensive player of the year, just an incredible player. Led the league and in tackles was, like three straight years, I think. Three straight years, yeah. just a. Just and from by all accounts, just a wonderful guy. You would see him around town in Charlotte. He was on commercials all the time, and then and and the toughest guy imaginable. And then you re, you remember he, he got 
like the hit in the game where he literally started crying. You literally yeah. saw him on the field crying. It was one of the most horrifying experiences uh, imaginable, uh, just to, to to what he was going through, and and then I think just a couple of years later, the NFL's like, you know what, the game should be seventeen. The season should be seventeen games. And and there were a few people who were like, that's ridiculous. The players don't. But did anybody stand up for it? Nope. And then one year, suddenly the game, it was the season is 17 games. It sucks on every level. Mm-hmm. Even as a football fan, it stinks to have a 17-game season. Nobody yep. thinks 9-8 and eight is a real record. It's, it's horrendous. But it's also, it's criminal. It's criminal to add another game to these players. But yet we stood back and watched it. And you're right. That's where we, as fans, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna basically watch this game because we can't quit it. We love this game so much we can't quit it. Stand up at least to try to 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 do the right thing. I I mean at least that. Well, it's only seventeen games because they wanted it to be eighteen and they 18. decided they decided to soft pedal it. It's going to eighteen <laughs> in the next couple of years without question. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. and not only that. But there are there are certain things that they could do that aren't going to change what happened to DeMar Hamlin, but might make it a little bit safer for players throughout the league. For example, they could add a second bye week for every team. Absolutely. And, and they could mandate that the bye week for every team happen the week before their Thursday night game so that no team ever has to play two games in four days. That is this. Right. That is that is. You are so much more prone. Your body is not recovered from the injuries you sustained on Sunday, and then suddenly you have to play on Thursday. They could very easily do that. I don't know why they don't. Maybe it's because they don't want to push the Super Bowl another two weeks into February or something. Right. Or it, right. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But they, at the very least, they could, since they forced essentially forced the players. To have a yearly schedule of Thursday night games in order to Mac to sell an entirely new package yep. of games to a new network, Amazon paid yep. them two billion dollars to air dollars. to air the Thursday night games. So that is a absolute straight up no holds barred cash grab by the league, forcing them into an unsafe situation of having to play every single team in the league has to play a Thursday night game. Usually in all, in almost all cases, except for the first game of the year, they have to play after playing a game on Sunday. If they were, had any real desire for player safety, the first thing they need to do is add a second bye week to the season and make it the Sunday before your Thursday night game. So that you don't, instead of having four days, three days, really between games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you end up having 10 that is a no-brainer, and it drives me nuts that they don't do things like that. They are not proactive. They wait until their hand is forced by either the the union demanding certain things or public opinion, public outcry being so intense that they have no choice but to act. It is a league that does nothing unless forced to do it. They painted end racism in the end zone. That is the, that's the big, that's the most proactive thing they've ever done. And it was in response to the George Floyd protests. And their, 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 their solution was we're going to paint end racism in the end zone. The most meaningless and ineffectual gesture I've ever seen in my life. 
Well, first we're going to run Colin Kaepernick out of the league, and then we're mm. going to put end racism. Yeah, sorry, I skipped, I skipped that point. Yes, we're going to we're going to run yeah. Colin Kaepernick out of the league for a completely constitutionally protected protest, but is bad. Right. We don't like it, so we're going to dra- run him out of the league. But to fix it, we're going to try to end racism by painting it. In the end inside. racism. Let's just end racism. We'll just end it. And uh, but don't you think the reason that they haven't done anything for these Thursday night games is because in order to really do it, these Thursday night games need to be like, everybody needs to play one, like every team in the league, like you have to spread it out. And I'm sure Amazon's like, no, I, we want, like we didn't pay $2 billion to get every team. We want a couple of uh, Cowboys games. We want a couple of uh, Chiefs games. We, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, they, and that's the other thing is like, everybody's the money grab is so the only important thing. Yep. And, and, and that's that's just hard. I mean, but but I think you're right. I do think public outcry. Look, the NFL is shaking a little bit now. I I really do believe that after this this Hamlin horror story, and and basically them looking so bad coming out of it. I mean, you know, they're, now they're trying to tell us that they never wanted the players to go back on the field. That they that 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 was not a, a league mandated rule. Basically. Joe Buck went out on his own somehow to, I mean, to what say a that. Mess. I mean, what a what mess, a mess that is. Yeah. The way uh, you you and I were texting during the stoppage, and you were saying repeatedly, everyone on this broadcast is overmatched here. Everybody, yeah. every, like, and and obviously, what is a more difficult situation? to to deal with than a, an obvious tragedy unfolding the details of which are completely unknown to you completely you, you don't you cannot the cameras cannot show what's going on because it's too scary and horrifying there's no details there's no information the stadium is deadly silent it's obviously a, an extraordinarily serious uh thing that's going on there was no um there was no respite from it until they left not only the broadcast, but the in-studio post-game show, and went to Sports Center. By the time Scott Van Pelt uh, and, and, and Ryan Clark, an Scott yeah, Van Pelt and Ryan did. Clark did a very, very good job of just trying to like take a breath and talk talk through the sort of general thing that was happening. But it was a real, it was a, a complete, it was a nightmare for the NFL. It laid yeah. bare how unsafe the game is how how uh just absolutely barbaric the game can be in key moments and how unprepared everyone involved is to under to like be able to articulate how you not you can't talk about you what i'm sure if i were an announcer what i would want to be saying in that moment is god this game is so awful this yeah. game shouldn't be yeah. played we can't do we, how how can we keep doing this this is horrifying and obviously you can't do that. And so what ends no. up happening is you don't do anything. And you just, well, sort of, and, it just and, unfolds. And the NFL to, 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 you know, sort of come to their defense just a little bit. And I said this when we were talking about the tax, the NFL left them to hanging out to try. Like they, the NFL did not know how to respond. They were, took them way too long to make it any kind I mean, they were clearly had their finger up in the air, right? I mean, they were they were reading Twitter and seeing what the responses were and trying to figure out can we really come back or not come back? And and you know, the players had no idea what to do. And the NFL absolutely let those guys just 
hang. They just let yep. him hang. Like, just sit there for 45 minutes or an hour or however long it took just repeating the same thing over. Yeah, this is this is absolutely terrible. Uh, I don't know if they're going to play. Do you have anything more on the sideline? No, nothing more on the sideline. Let's go to a commercial break. The commercials were embarrassing in that moment. It was awful to be watching goofy pizza commercials and, and beer commercials and gambling commercials while this horrible thing is going on. It just felt so awful. Every bit of it felt so awful. Yeah. And, and the NFL let it happen. And the NFL should know they had to have a contingency they had to know a tragedy like this could happen at any point. Yeah. How could you not be prepared for something like this? I that that blows my mind. I don't know. I I, I mean, I guess the the other side of this would be to say, what can you do, right? What 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 what's the answer? The answer was probably for the league to immediately say the second that ambulance left the field to say this game is suspended. Right. Not That's what right. not let them hang for an hour and ten minutes. That's um, right. And 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 to communicate to the booth and to the post game show th- like this is this is the situation. This is what uh how we think you should handle it or whatever. I don't know. I mean it just the 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 indecision with this at least the way it appeared and who knows what was going on in the league office or what the discussions were I I've even as cynical as I am I don't want to to believe frankly that the league ever considered playing that game again as that I, as it I unfolded agree with that. I can't I, I can I just can't imagine that anyone was going well let's see how maybe it'll be fine maybe he'll give a thumbs up as he's carted off and then we'll just go back to second and four I don't believe I believe that they knew pretty quickly that they weren't going to resume the game. It's just it just took a excruciatingly long time. I don't know. To, to I, I don't know wrap because, it up. because because you make the point and this is this is right. If he had put a thumbs up on the way off the field, they would have played. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We're never even considered not playing. Even if he wasn't good. Like even if he still was in terrible condition, if they had gotten any sign that like oh it looks like he's going to be okay or at least he's not going to die i mean by i mean i don't even know what okay would be in that situation but if it looks like hey he's not he's not in in danger of imminent death they would have played that game there's no mm-hmm. question in my mind if he was paralyzed they would have played that game so and we so know was, that oh, to be true because of Ryan Shazier and other Ryan folks Shazier who, and others Daryl Stingley Daryl Stingley and, yeah mean, yeah and so so then they're on the field for a long time. There was definitely no response. Like it was suddenly it was up to the coaches to decide whether they were going to play, which you got to be kidding me. You can't do that. And then, and then it cannot take you an hour. I mean, that's my big thing is if it takes you that long, I'm not saying that there was ever a point where they were like, Oh, it feels right to let him go back out and play. Cause that is kind of monstrous. But I do think that they thought, let's let this play out a little bit. Maybe, maybe we'll get some good news. Maybe something will, will, will change. Maybe something will turn. Maybe it'll become obvious that they should play. This is a big game, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a game that has you know very significant playoff implications. So you know, let's not rush and this and that and the other. And they hemmed and hawed, and it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. It was bad all around. Go. Yeah. 
Well, let's right, talk let's about, talk about let's, good things. Let's talk about happier Baseball. things. I so Baseball. you I there's something I want to bring up and talk about which I think is interesting and you, it's a thing you wrote about in your Substack. So, uh, Sabermetrics pioneer, you call him Cyril Morong. I hope yes. I pronounced that right. Made a list of the most underrated players in baseball. So the idea here is career war versus MVP shares, right? So Correct. you look you look at someone's career war and then how many MVP you shares estimate. you estimate right. how how what that should translate to in terms of how many MVP shares you should have won in your life. Correct. Number one most underrated player, according to Cyril, is Lou Whitaker. So Lou Whitaker had just over seventy-five career WAR, and his MVP share expectation based on that would be a little over two, two point one four, right? Which means the guy should have won an MVP, should've and he, MVP he should have been like fifth in some other year or sixth a or something. Of years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that makes sense to me. Lou Whitaker, most underrated player, like long-standing Hall of Fame argument for Lou Whitaker, never won an MVP. Took him forever to get in. Um, number two, most underrated player of all time, Willie Mays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is really cool. I think this is really, really interesting because, and, and we should talk about his list. I later on, if you go to my Substack, stack, you can see, I put together my own list of, of underrated players that I think more fits what we talk about, what we mean when we talk about underrated. Right. His, to be to be completely fair to, to, to Cyril, because I think his list is fantastic, he is only saying which great players did not get the recognition An- enough, they deserved. Basically the enough MVPs, MVP, right, yeah. In the MVP balloting, right. And Willie Mays won two MVPs, and Willie Mays was probably the best player in, in baseball, certainly in the National League, 10 times, probably yeah. 10 times. I would know, have said and, six off the top of my head, but yeah, 10 is probably right. Yeah. No, he, he he led the he led all position players in war ten times, and but certainly <laughs> <That's> so crazy. <laughs> so good. Like every year, he was the best player. So so basically, it they he listed only he finished second a lot. He finished second two or three times. Uh, finished third or fourth or fifth. So his win sh- his uh, MVP shares is pretty high. I think right. it's something like six or something like that. But it should even be higher because right. there were there were several years that he he didn't win it. The the number three on the list to me is the one that is so amazing to me because I think in the long run Wade Boggs is not underrated. Wade Boggs was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Wade Boggs was one of the most famous players of his day uh, for for a lot of reasons. Um, but Wade Boggs, man, they were not going to give Wade Boggs an MVP. He no, never I, got a first place vote. I think not he. A vote. I think he is. It, it made. I would have guessed that he would have been top five because it was it way pre Moneyball, and yes. his main skill really was his eye, and he walked constantly. Yes, hundred yes. plus walks every single year, and at plus the time, and, and then hit three fifty when he wasn't <laughs> walking. Yeah. And there were famously articles written uh, in the Boston media about how he was a selfish player because he walked all the time. And so that there were even in Boston, uh, there were people who were like who were basically booing him 
for doing the thing that he was supposed to do as well as anyone had ever done it. And the, and then you look at the, the the reason the list is interesting to me and a reason your list is also interesting and good and a little more nuanced is the so of the 10 guys that he mentions, number two, number three is Wade Box, number four is Ricky Henderson, who again yep. walked endlessly all the time endlessly and stole bases and obviously was a great was the best base runner maybe ever and then it's guys like ozzy smith is seven who wasn't a good hitter but he was so good at defense which was a thing that no one knew how to no one knew how to calculate (laughs) that he deserved now when you look back and apply defensive metrics to him it makes sense and then bobby gritch who was a great hitter he's number nine Bobby Gritch is like a guy who walked a lot and like did a yes. was a was a good all around hitter and who was not thought of as he what didn't hit forty home runs and he didn't hit three twenty five, um, but th- it was like when I saw the list I was like yes these all make sense to me because there's certain guys like Willie Mays and Eddie Matthews who were recognized as great sluggers and great players but were just better than people necess- maybe thought right. they were. But a lot of the guys on the list are guys who had skills that weren't properly valued at the time in which they played. Now, when you were when you were watching Wade Boggs, because you are still young, but probably old enough to start getting into a little bit of the of the Bill James uh, yeah. type of of thinking, did you would you, were you the kind of person who was like, dude, you don't realize how good Wade Boggs is, or were you more no a hundred percent? I the, yeah. because at the time in the, so when I was becoming a baseball fan early eighties. Like 83, 80, 45, the debate in Connecticut was Boggs, who's better, Boggs or Mattingly? And everyone would say, well, Mattingly hits more homers. That's why Mattingly's better. He drives him more runs. And I was like, Wade Boggs hit 368. He had 240 hits in a season. He walks all the time. He never makes outs. Like, I didn't yeah. know how to put it into money ball terms necessarily, but I was a hundred percent sure that Wade Boggs was a better player than Don Mattingly, certainly. And I I was like Wade Box was the guy who you maybe had this with teams that you rooted for. If the Red Sox lost, the way that it would be okay in my mind is if Wade Boggs went two for four. Like if Wade, if the Red Sox, I wanted the Red Sox. The first thing was the Red Sox win. Second thing was did Wade Boggs get two hits? And and I would be, uh, it would mitigate the loss if to me if if Wade Boggs was successful because I was just fetishistic about his stats. I poured yes. over his stats and the number of hits. He had seven straight seasons, I think, of 200 hits or more. He walked 100 times a year, every year. His batting average was absurd. And the year he hit 368, I really wanted him to get to 370 because 370, no one had hit 370 since Brett, I think. And he was, right. and he was like so close to getting to 370. So... It made total sense to me to see him pop up on this list because I I think that no one, in 1980, 85, 86, nobody truly understood what a remarkable thing he was no. doing. No, Henderson, Henderson either. But 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 Boggs, by the way, didn't Boggs have a year where he didn't pop up to the infield? He right? popped up, he popped up the infield twice in an entire season, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, Ricky Henderson was the same way in that mm-hmm. everybody knew Ricky Henderson was great, but they all thought it was only because he was a great base stealer. Like mm-hmm. that was that was his whole game. But Ricky Anderson walked a billion times. You know, I mean, it was it was his batting average was was what it was, and he hit with some power and did some other things. But 
The guy walked so much. And, of course, when he walked, it was a double, right, at least, maybe a triple. And and he scored a billion runs because of it. Mm-hmm. And But people didn't they that they didn't respect that element of of the game like they didn't respect that element he should have won two or three mvps in the 80s and he yeah. didn't win any mvps in the 80s you know yeah um you so- know what's weird is like there have been moments where like mark mosley won a football mvp one year Th- that's the sticker. craziest right you know what it's remember when we used to have that segment where it was like stuff we don't talk enough stuff about. we don't talk about enough yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> We let's bring that. Wait, really. let's bring it back. Let's bring it back real quick. <laughs> so here we go. So we've we've discussed this before. What the, these uh, these are things like? I think the what was the original stuff we don't talk about I have, enough? I have no idea. Was it something involving Shohei Otani? Probably. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm going to throw another one out before we come right back to the to the mostly one uh, stuff we don't talk enough about. And I and I know this because I just wrote about them uh, for my book. The Seattle Mariners have never won a World Series. Never yeah. been to a World Series. We don't talk about that enough. They, no. they are the only team in baseball that has never been to a World Series. Yep, that is and wild. And somehow, it's wild. It's wild. And somehow, they I mean, of course, you know, people talk about them being suffering or whatever, but they have not fallen into that Red Sox curse, Cubs curse. Like nobody views they're the not, Mariners. They're I not think. quite old. They still seem like an expansion team or something. I don't know. They came into '77 and they've not made the World Series. Even the Rockies made the World Series for crying out the, loud. Well, the the Rays made the World Series. The Diamondbacks <laughs> won it twice. Twice. There the there are only two teams I believe who have never been to a conference finals in basketball, which is the Pelicans and the Hornets. I'm pretty sure right. I have that right. So they haven't even gotten to the conference finals, which is and but again, those are two fairly new teams. Yeah, they're newer than the than the. They're, uh, they're than newer, the and there's Mariners also. Are. But the other thing I'd say about the Mariners are, wouldn't you say four or five of the most iconic players of the last half century? Played yes, yes, a hundred percent. Ichiro, A. Rod, Edgar Martinez, Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., and Randy Johnson. I mean, that's, Randy Johnson. that's five unbelievably iconic, once in a lifetime Hall of Fame players, and they've and they have the record for the most wins the in American most, League. They won one hundred and sixteen games. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's wild. Um, but let's talk about Mark Mosley, which we don't talk about yes, enough. Mark Mosley in 1982 won the NFL MVP. I'm just going to read his stats. You want to oh, hear yeah, his I stats? Want, this is so great. This is so, so great. Mark Mosley, the year he won the MVP of <laughs> he was the, the league. MVP of the league. Of the league. Was 20 for 21 in field goals. <laughs> His longest field goal of the season yeah, was 40, yeah. 48 yards. <laughs> and he was 16 of 19 in extra points. And that's when they kicked extra points from the two-yard line. That's that's right. That's right. And he missed three of them. And for his career, the next year, by the way, he was 33 of 47 kicking field goals. He hit oh, yeah. 70% of his field goals. And he was in that the year before he was the MVP. Now the other so the runner up of MVP that year, <laughs> Dan Fouts, who received uh thirty three votes to Mark Mosley's thirty five votes. Right. Now remember we should say this was this was a strike year. So there were only nine games played. That's that right. Year. So but in those nine games, 
Fouts was 204 of 330 for 2,883 yards and 17 <laughs> touchdowns. So he was responsible for 17 touchdowns. Mark Mosley was responsible for 20 field goals and whatever, 16 extra points. Yeah. Marcus no, Allen it's... finished third. He had 700 yards rushing. And, and look here, and the guy who should have won the MVP that year, is not even listed. He's not even on there. Uh, West Chandler. West Chandler. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. He had a thousand yards receiving in nine in eight games. Eight games. He had a thousand yards receiving, nine touchdowns and forty nine catches in eight games. And they were like, "Nope, the kicker that only missed one field goal and never three, even tried and a three extra points." <laughs> and we by the way, uh, Lawrence Taylor. Also, if you uh, want, yeah, like, he also existed. Yes. Lawrence Lawrence Taylor had had seven and a half sacks in nine games and a ninety-seven yard pick six, <laughs> and was just generally the most disruptive thing that the sport had ever seen. Had ever seen. That's Everson right. Walls had seven interceptions in nine <laughs> games. Like, what were they? What happened? They 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 lost their minds. They gave it to a kicker. Oh my god! The great thing is. They felt like apparently they felt like that uh, they had to give it to a guy on on Washington right. since that that team was good. They're like, hey, should we give it to the quarterback of Washington? Like, no, let's no. give it to the kicker. We're giving the it to the kicker, on, the straight <laughs> on kicker that missed three extra points. Give it to that guy. Three, he missed three 17 yard kicks, <laughs> and they gave him the MVP. Not only that, Mark Mosley a few years later was playing for the Browns, and he, uh, in the very famous Jets comeback victory uh, that led to uh, the uh, the Broncos game with the drive, uh, the Browns came all the way back, but they had to call Vic back numerous times because Mark Mosley kept missing like <laughs> chip shot field goals. It was it was incredible. The Browns like they drove down like the overtime comes and the Browns had come all the way back. They were down ten with two minutes left. They come back and win, uh, or are in position to win. And Mark Mosley missed. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like a 24 yard field goal. And it's like that guy was league MVP. Unbelievable. Just yeah. truly unbelievable. Hey, is Wes Chandler in the Hall of Fame? Wes Chandler is not in the Hall of Fame. Really? Um, because I think it was a short career. But that year is like the greatest receiver. Year. Until Rice, obviously, Rice does all kinds of stuff. And then, obviously, later on, we get uh, we get some of the crazy, you know, Justin Jefferson stuff of recent years. Um but until then, that eight-game stretch, there's never been anything like that, ever. It's, it's ever. A, it's a 2,000-plus, more than 2,000-yard pace. He 21 yeah. yards a catch. He was on pace for 2,064 yards and 18 touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> in 1982. Like, in 1982. In like, that is 40 years ago. And he was, uh, he didn't even, he finished fourth in Offensive Player of the Year. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Just amazing. All right, so there are a couple of baseball things I want to talk about um, before we uh, before we call this thing, and the first one is is directed right at you. The Red Sox really did go out and sign uh, their guy Rafael Devers. Mm-hmm. Finally, not finally just for Devers, which is which is true. Devers, Devers, um, not just for him, but finally for the Red Sox, who over the last three years have let uh, a guy named Mookie Betts go, a guy named Xander Bogarts go. It, it felt like they were just giving up on life 
Yeah. And uh, so how do you feel now that, that, that they signed Rafi? If they hadn't done this, it would have been tantamount to raising a white flag on the next five years, right? Like yeah. they yeah. they are already in huge trouble. Their roster requires an enormous overhaul. But if they hadn't done this, they were basically saying we're giving up. We're not going to be competitive. Yep. So in order... So so now th- this has a couple of immediate effects. Number one, obviously, is like they have a guy who hopefully will become one of those guys who only wears one uniform and who retires and has his number raised into the rafters and is like a career lifetime hero Red Sox, right? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me stop you there for one second because yeah. I was actually talking about this with somebody else. How important is that? I, I don't think baseball respects how important that is. Like, I think... You know, and and I realize everybody understands the money is huge and this and that and the other. But, like, don't you owe the fans some? Like, you you raise a player. Like, I don't think the Red Sox fans should ever forgive the Red Sox for not going to the absolute mat to keep Mookie Betts. I mean, that's my view. Yeah. But I also feel like that's probably how Washington fans should feel about about Bryce Harper. Yeah. or, Or how they should feel about even, you know, I mean, it's just... It, it feels to me like you owe it to your fans to try to keep your best player forever. Like, that's that's part of the history and fabric of the game, it feels like. Well, I would say a couple of things about it. I think it's very important, but I also think it's incumbent on the ownership, not on the player. In other words, when well, you have right. when that's you have right. one of these guys, these generational players, it is the responsibility of the ownership group and Absolutely. the front office of the team to keep him, not on the player to stay somewhere or accept less money or whatever. So it's like, you got to pay like the, what the Red Sox uh, did in trading Mookie Betts was, um, was the mistake there is not Mookie for leaving. The mistake is that they should have said, this is a generational guy. This is the, this is the face of the franchise for the next 12 to 15 years. So we are going to look at Mike Trout's deal and we're going to offer Mike Trout's deal. And right. chances are very good that at the end of 12 or 14 years or whatever it was, it will be a bargain. We will have gotten more than the value uh, out of him that we were paying him. And they should have done maybe this a similar thing with Xander Bogarts. They offered Xander Bogarts $90 million for four years as an extension <laughs> before. I mean, they misread. Not only did they misread the market, they misread it by a factor of three like oh, they yeah. misread it by they were three X off the amount of money that he was going to get. Uh, in years and in uh, money, so the, I I do believe it is important. I would love it if um, if guys stayed with their teams. Sometimes they don't want to, right? I think Nolan Arenado wanted to get out of Colorado, probably, sure, and sure. and sometimes guys get drafted by teams and they just it's not a good fit. They don't want to. They want to go play in Los Angeles or New York or or Miami or wherever. But if the guy wants to stay, and all indications were that Betts would have accepted the deal he got from the Dodgers if it came from the Red Sox, same is true as Xander Bogarts, then those deals should have been made. They should have been offered. And then if the guy wants to leave, he wants to leave. But you should do everything you possibly can That's, that's to keep what him. I'm saying. Yeah. Go to the mat to try to yeah. keep him. I'm not saying that you always will. You might not. Yeah. But... Go but you to go to the mat. mat. Yes, when it's go- when it's Albert Pujols or Mookie Betts or any of those guys who become synonymous with the team for which they yes. play. Then and the Red Sox would have been to me. The Red Sox could have made the argument. I mean, I you know I I don't I don't know that I would buy it because they're the Red Sox and they should be able to afford everybody. But they could have made the argument that's like, oh look, we can only do this for 
Mookie. We're going to have, we, we can't afford Xander and Mookie, right? Like they could have made that argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, again, I don't buy it. I think you, you're the Red Sox. You can afford whatever you want, but I, I understand that, but they didn't go for either of them. Yeah. And, and no, it, it's and, awful, which is, which is why Devers signing is, is like a little ray of light in the, in this yes. morass because it signifies not only that they're not raising the white flag and there are all these rumors flying around. Maybe they're trying to sell the team. They're selling Liverpool. The, the Fenway Sports Group is selling Liverpool. Maybe they're going to sell the Red Sox too and they're going to focus on this expansion NBA team that they're going to set up in Vegas or whatever. But now it's at least like, okay, they have an asset. They have an important asset locked in for a decade or more. But the other interesting thing that it does is they have a ton of money coming off the books of like dead money, really dead money in yeah. the next two years. The Chris Sale deal will end. Uh, Matt Barnes extension, which was a total disaster, <laughs> will end. They yeah, So yeah. in the 2023 and 2024 classes, free agent classes are real good. And there are going to be some opportunities here to, got, to say like, hey, we want to jump back into competitiveness in the AL East. Well, Juan Soto is available. How about, yes, how about you look exactly. into Juan Soto and, and other, and other like very, very, and oh, by the way, there's a guy who pitches and hits in Anaheim who might become available after this year. Yes. And so if they have decided to recommit themselves to spending a ton of money and now competing with these teams like the Mets and the Yankees and the Padres that have $350 million payrolls, then there are guys that you can, you can very quickly become a really good lineup if you want yes. to um now that you have devers and in theory trevor story after a year adjusts a little better and he'll probably move to shortstop and play very good defensive shortstop and be good for them uh defensively maybe he'll start to hit again maybe some of these other younger players tristan cases and other guys Cassis cases i'm not sure which it is still um, so like they can, they can become a very good lineup very quickly if they decide to spend the money. And that's why it was so important because if Devers leaves, it becomes impossible. There's no way right. you can't, you can't sign eight of those free agents. They're probably going to, some of them are going to get better offers, but you can sign one and then yeah. you have, suddenly you have Devers and Juan Soto as a three, four. That's a pretty good lineup, no matter who else is hitting in it. So, uh, it was a huge relief. Yeah, it was, it was a huge moment and, and, Honestly, I just feel I feel like their back was against the wall. I think that's why they did it. Oh, 100%. I, I, don't, think they, I don't think they wanted to do it. I really don't. I think if they to me that what that team gives off the 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 uh, the, the aura it gives off is um they're not, they wouldn't have done it. They would have they would have said, "All right, you know, we'll move on. We're going to go young and we're going to we're going to completely pare this thing down." That was what they seemed to be going for and it and to me you and i've talked about this there's something wonderful about european soccer in that the fans have so much more of a say yeah in what's going on you know like they have such a and and one of the really frustrating elements of american sports across the board is that you you feel like you have no say as a fan you know i mean you feel like you you're just you're a fan, and whatever they decide to do, you kind of have to live with. I mean, that was certainly the feeling I had with the Browns. I mean, like there was, it didn't come up to a vote, you know, to to decide whether or not to to sign Deshaun Watson. It was just something they like. We're gonna do it, and you're gonna like it or you're not gonna like it, but but uh, we're gonna do it. And but I feel like the Red Sox hit a point where they could no longer ignore what 
the fans because it felt to me like the fans were about to turn ugly. Oh, they they were going to lose people without question permanently. They were going to lose people. Um, that so yes, I think you're a hundred percent right. There's one other thing that's going on that I think is now going on throughout the league, which is that traditionally what you have heard from ownership in Major League Baseball and even in football and other places is, you know, the teams don't make any money. The teams don't make a profit, right, right, you know, and, right. and we, we can't just spend infinite money because the teams lose money. And of course, what they're, it's like a third of a truth because the value of the franchise increases every year. So course. when you're Daniel Snyder, oh, the, may, the team doesn't make any money. Oh, I feel really bad for you. You're about to make a $4 billion profit when you sell right. it and you can sell it right. anytime you want. There's no shortage of billionaires out there dying to buy football teams, basketball teams, and and baseball teams. Robert Sarver decides, is makes a mess of everything in Phoenix. He His prize is $3 billion. Right. Frank, Frank McCourt made a mess of the Dodgers. His prize was billions of dollars and also the rights to the parking outside Dodger Stadium, <laughs> like in perpetuity. So they've been hiding, they've been cloaking their inability to spend this enormous amount of money because they say year to year the teams don't turn an operating profit, which is, of course, total horse hockey because they're all for, for two reasons. Number one, they are making money because the value of the franchises keeps going up. And number two, this isn't in almost every case their only business. John right. Henry doesn't only own Fenway Sports Group. He's a commodities <laughs> trader. That's how he became a billionaire. So what you're now seeing is something I think and where we're heading is something much closer to what like the Premier League model is in the Premier League, those teams don't aren't making money and aren't supposed to really make money, right? That's be, right. Because they, it's just too expensive, and also the pay structure is different. If you're in the top four of the Premier League, you get a bonus, an enormous amount of money because you play in the Champions League. If you're in the top eight, you play in a different league cup that gets you a little bonus, not as much, but some. So there are other pay structures there. It's not just their at their TV right. deals and their sponsorship deals. But those owners at that top of the of the heap in the Premier League. They are not trying to, nor do they expect to turn a profit every year. That's no. not the point. No. The point is to field the most competitive team you can so that the value of the franchise goes up so that you can then sell it and turn a profit. I think we're heading in that direction. I think these teams at the top of the heap here, the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the, I mean, granted, they all, they have league revenue, they have shared revenue, and they also yeah, have local they're, revenue. They're doing fine. Yes. But I think they're basically, I, I think they are now coming to grips with the idea that they need to give up on the concept of turning a significant yearly profit in order to just keep the team competitive, increase the value of the franchise, and then eventually sell it, and that's where you make your money. Well, and I think Steve Cohen is dragging them to some of this, right? I mean, like, he's just because he doesn't care. I've said this, we've said this on the podcast, and I, and I believe this to be 100% true. There was a time when baseball owners... That was their business. Their whole business right. was they were a baseball owner. That's what they did. They, they, you know, I mean, they leveraged their way into ownership or they inherited the team or whatever the case may be. And then they were going to make money on the team and that was how they were going to make their living year in, year out, right? Right. One that's gone, completely gone. And But it is left behind this horrible expectation. 
you should not make money as a major league baseball owner. That's no. not you you bought in because it's fun and you get like you get like all the attention and and you get to be like like you don't make money when you buy uh, a Monet painting. Right. Like if you ever sell it again, you can make money on it. That's not the point and and it's so frustrating because there will always be a dozen owners in the league who are just cashing in. That's mm-hmm. all they're doing is cashing in. All of these people who say anybody who said they're losing money in baseball are they're pulling your leg anyway, right? Because they're hiding all of, of this course. extra money they're making in so many different ways. They just made like the final two billion dollars on their sale to Disney of 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 the MLB digital platform that they sold to Disney. They just got another $2 billion for that. They, they're making money. All of them are hand over money. fist. They are making money yes. hand over fist. And, yeah. and, so, and importantly though, as you just pointed out, that's not why you get into this. That's business, not why. Man. I'm sorry. No. It's not, you're not, you're you, you, when you, when you sell the team, you will make an outrageous profit that you can't begin to calculate. And you know <laughs> that right. going in. And that's, <laughs> that's right. why, that's why the LA Clippers sold for two point whatever billion, oh. and now the Phoenix Suns are selling for four billion, and why the Las Vegas expansion team is going to sell for five and a half or six billion. Yep. It's because these people aren't stupid. They didn't become billionaires by being stupid. They became billionaires because they know when <laughs> when something is a locked in guaranteed profit. And that's what these teams are. They are guaranteed profit. Guaranteed the lo- profit. The, the lowest value NFL franchise is worth m- m- way over a billion and a half dollars at this point, and it was probably purchased for a hundred and seven million. Yeah. I mean, John John Henry Fenway Sports Group bought the Red Sox for whatever it was. It was it was like three hundred and something million plus this plus every all in. It was something like six hundred and fifty or seven hundred million, right. and people thought he was nuts. It was like, <laughs> oh my god, how this is. By the way, this isn't in the nineteen forties. This is no. two thousand and two. <laughs> they bought this. It's twenty years ago. It's in this this millennium, and he and it was like seven hundred million, seven hundred plus million. And people were like, this is bananas. How can this ever pay off and blah, 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 blah. And they put a ton of money into the stadium. They renovated the whole thing and they did right. all this stuff. And when he sells the Red Sox, they will sell for between 6 10X. and $12 billion. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, depend- 10X yeah. minimum. 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 Minimum, yes. That's my point. That's my point. These guys know that. What do they do? They buy investments all the time. You invest in this land you're not expecting that land to make money for you now. You expect that land to make money for you when you sell it later. Right. You, I mean, it's just, it's. And again, it's so, it is not the old days. It's not their primary source of income. No, that not is, one of them. Mickey Aronson <laughs> owns Carnival Cruise Lines, for God's sake. Like, the, the, all of these guys are still running the business. There are a couple mom and pop shops left, right? The Steelers, I think, are still kind of a mom and pop operation. Well, they're still owned by the Roonies, but I mean, they've made so much money as yeah. the Roonies, you know? right? And they and the Lakers are a kind of a mom. The Lakers are the bus family business. Yeah, and they're it, the and, bus family business. And by the way, it's not. It's a bad business. It's causing a lot of problems. <laughs> like if I'm a Lakers fan right now, I'm desperate for them to sell to some tech like Silicon Valley billionaire. And that's why the, that's why the golden state warriors have this payroll. That's like, you know, $198 million in tax every year because they, they are like, it doesn't matter 
what money we lose year to year. Are you crazy? <laughs> this couldn't matter less. Like when we sell this team uh, in in five or eight years, we're gonna make ten x on our investment, and oh, it's like absolutely, Abs- yeah. well, I mean that's and and to me that should be the argument. Anytime some owner like gripes about not getting paid, and and by the way, baseball they do it more than any other. They don't do it in football. They don't talk about it in basketball. In baseball, they talk about it all the time. It, this is a money losing operation. Blah blah blah. Sell the team then. Yeah, sell it. Sell Just it. Go ahead and sell. Make a billion dollars. Guaranteed, the Kansas City Royals sold for a billion dollars. They are absolutely they the most mom and pop shop. Yeah, <laughs> they stink. They need a new stadium. Uh, they're in the smallest market. X and X and X, and and a they sold dollars. for a billion two or three years ago. Sell your team. You're the Cincinnati Reds. You're complaining about it. Sell it. $2 Sell it. And the reason down. it's an empty threat is because the whole reason they bought it to begin with is because they just want to own a team. They just <laughs> like right. it. They like the owner's box and they like the cocktail parties and they like going to the owner's meetings and they like being all powerful and big. And yep. they like they like people sucking up to them wherever they go. They of like if They like people. They like the mayor of Cincinnati or Kansas City knowing who they are and taking <laughs> their phone calls when they have a problem with their other business that they're running. They It's it's a trophy it's a goddamn trophy and 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 so if you don't like your trophy and you think your trophy is too expensive sell your trophy make your profit and go do something else yeah no it's it's funny i remember roy williams always used to say uh he would talk about like somebody complaining about the the difficulties of 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 big time coaching and uh in college basketball and how you have to all the recruiting problems and you have to do this and you're fighting and it's this and it's 24 hours a day and blah 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 and he was like Go coach a high school, man. Yeah. I mean, like nobody's forcing you to do this. Go find a little college somewhere with a delightful, you know, uh, uh, main street and go coach there. Yeah. And yeah. it's like the same thing. You're an owner and you're like, oh, man, I'm, we're losing money. Sell the team. Sell it. Sell, Sell it. it. They're, no one... they're lining up out the door to give you billions of dollars for your team. Do you like when these teams have been forced into selling like the Carolina Panthers were uh, <laughs> to David Tepper when they who, who, who is now in his own trouble. Yep. David Tepper. <laughs> when the you. when the commanders now are doing it, when the Suns yes. had to do it, when the Clippers had to do it, they, the second that there was a potential sale, they had multiple billionaires beating oh, yeah. down their oh, door yeah. like they Absolutely. It, they didn't it didn't it was not hard to sell the minnesota timberwolves no it won't be hard to sell the boston red sox like the second you say i mean do, can you imagine how many how many people there are in the world right now who are who are checking actively checking every single day to see if John Henry's interested in selling the Red Sox. There must be, I would say there's 25 different groups of people who would, who would be immediately interested and would submit bids if they they came to it. No question. I mean, but, but that's the Lakers story too. How many? Oh my God. Oh my God. The The Los Angeles Lakers. Are you kidding me? A team that's never essentially never been for sale, right? At least in the, in the last, in 50 years, that is, then premier destination <laughs> for all for like every free agent if the team is any good at all the team That's where right. lebron james currently resides <laughs> the center of hollywood that you know this drives me nuts so one of my great shames i've still never been uh, i've still never seen lebron james play basketball live never once wow i have really? tr- i have tried on multiple occasions and he has either missed the game through injury or uh or just it didn't work out or whatever but 
I'm like, okay, well, this year, I this is it, man. I, I yeah, on. you got to see him. You got to so, go. So, uh, so I decide I'm gonna. I don't care who they play. I'm gonna pick the crappiest game I can find. I go on to StubHub. Do you know how much it costs to get in the building <laughs> to a late? The Lakers stink, and they've stunk for years in a row. And LeBron misses like every seventh game. It's right. five hundred dollars to get into Crypto.com just Arena. Just to get into just the to door. get in the door, to sit in the worst, the <laughs> three hundred level, whatever seats. It's hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and I and so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars, I'm going to go see a good team. So I'm going to try to see them play. Like Giannis, maybe is coming up. They've right? got or like uh, they've That's got. There's not some, hundreds and hundreds of dollars anymore. No, it is so <laughs> ridiculous. And it's I tried to do this last year when they were legitimately bad, and yeah. and this year they're like middling. Last year, for, I was like, I I'm sorry, I cannot pay twelve hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> to sit in for like a an seat. okay seat. <laughs> and if you told if you announced if the Buzz family announced right now, what would the Lakers sell for? The Clippers sold for two point two. The oh, the they, Suns just sold for what did the Suns sell for? Like three close or right? four, close three, to four, three, right? Yeah. What did the Timberwolves yeah. sold for? Like oh, they'll sell for eight. Seven it must. Eight, it's got to be eight, think? right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I would think so. You're the, the the Lakers with that arena. I mean, with 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 the, the with the Lakers. Uh, everything about it with HBO still running that show. Are you kidding me? It's like, got to. It's got to be. I mean, it's obviously the most. It's. It would be the highest value sale of any franchise in any sport, and the only ones that could pass it, I would think, would be the Cowboys, Yankees, and Cowboys. maybe the Yankees, maybe the, right? Maybe the. Oh, the Yankees. I think Yankees are number one. Yeah. I think the Yankees would sell right now for more than ten billion. I think they'd sell for twelve billion dollars or something. Yeah, like you might be right. And as a reminder. Yeah. George Steinbrenner purchased that team for ten million dollars. <laughs> I was gonna say for twelve bucks. It wasn't even his ten million dollars. It nope. was like twelve bucks. And, CB- and, uh... CBS owned the Yankees, and Steinbrenner bought them for ten million dollars. That is that. So that he bought them for less than what Nestor Cortez will make in arbitration <laughs> next year. <laughs> it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The Red Sox have a chance, I think. Of, Red Sox of would be in the point. like six to eight range, I would imagine. The Cowboys would be in ten, the ten range. The Yankees would be, be ten. There or might above. be a couple of NFL teams that would that would. Well, the New York Giants, line. you would wonder whether right the, yeah. there's a similar thing going with that media market, um, uh, and the Steelers, you would have to wonder about. Um, yeah, I don't know the Steelers. It would seem like that would want that would be. You'd want the the richest guy in Pittsburgh with a you know with a connection to Pittsburgh, which is I mean there are plenty of rich guys with connections to Pittsburgh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I I think that's it, I just never ever want to hear we're losing money again. Oh, it's like, the, the worst. Like, like, like that's the worst. And the Red Sox crying even tiny bit poor like they did with 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 the trying to get the luxury tax reset and everything else. It was humiliating just absolutely humiliating just the worst all right so here's the second baseball thing i want to talk about (laughs) we're good we're an hour 20 in so yeah let's bring up topic number two have you signed carlos correa somebody you were talking i i reached out to his agent (laughs) and uh we had a deal in place but then i ran the medicals and uh he failed the medicals (laughs) have you seen is there look we know he'll probably end up with the Mets. He hasn't still, he's not. He'll probably end up with the Mets at somewhat less than the $315 million 12-year deal 
that he signed. Maybe it'll be a 10-year deal. Maybe it'll be this. It'll, uh, Ken Rosenthal uh, was, was basically saying that the Mets are – they don't want to embarrass the player. Right. And if they're going to sign him, you know, they, they want him to be happy. So they're not going to, you know, they'll overpay, but just not to the level that they already have. Okay. But that doesn't have to happen. Nope. Like he, they still have not signed him. The, the giants are like, I think doing like a dance that they got out of oh, this the, Carlos the Correa thing. The, te- the team that is the happiest without question is the giants for multiple reasons. Number one, the Mets medical staff confirming their whatever yes. this issue is with his ankle or whatever. But secondly, because they looked like a clown show That's for right. letting him get away. And now it's like, oh, actually, maybe they were smart. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the way this plays out, it has to be something like the con- the, the contract is structured in a in like a uh, four year guaranteed with a six year option or something like they've oh, got to have the team has to have an out if it's really Two different medical staffs have said this is really serious. This is like, this is like, don't make this deal level don't serious. Don't make this deal level serious. That's so, the thing. It's an and it's his ankle, right? Isn't that what? That's what I that keep hearing. That's what I keep reading. Yeah, that it's yeah. something with his ankle. So I think I think if you're the Mets, what you do is you say, listen, we're going to give you thirty five million a year guaranteed for four years. You're going to make hundred and forty yeah. million dollars no matter what. But then right. we have an out because if you have played a total of eleven games over those four years, we can't be on the hook for another two hundred and fifty million years. or whatever. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I, my, that would be my guess is it, it's you know the way that these contracts have gone is that it's been a player option. But my guess would be that they'll lock in thirty five million a year or whatever it is. For It'll a be team the, option. the total value will be ten three fifty or something, but there will be a the team will have an out after four or five years or something. That's the only way you can do this and not risk like you know this is a team with with legitimate World Series hopes next year yeah. and every year after, and you can't have a three hundred fifty million dollar commitment to a guy who has been called into question by two different team medical staffs. Right. That's, I just, that's you know, the problem. Yeah. And look, the Mets definitely have leverage here. I don't think any other team is going to dive in on this. You know, I, I don't think Boris has a, a third option no. on this deal, right? No. You can't go back to the Giants, and I and I don't think that any other team. I mean, that's look. We always hear about like, yeah, something popped on the medical. It's a little bit risky. It's a little bit this. Maybe you you know you you sort of smooth it over. This has been a case where basically the Giants walked away immediately, immediately, like within minutes they walked away. And the Mets, after like this celebratory thing, just went dark. Like we haven't heard a word from It is. I don't know if it's because it's a stalemate and it's a standoff and they're each waiting for the other side to blink or because they're legitimately like, we don't know what to do right now. Like, but one way or the other, this is this is bad, man. I mean, it's this bad. is this is a top ten player in baseball when he's healthy, and really now you're like, oh, maybe maybe he's just never gonna be the same. Like I, That's I mean, so weird. he does not. It's not like he plays first base. He plays a position, and <laughs> and right. and a huge part of his value is that he he plays a position that is very demanding and plays it very well. And if he can't, if he is range is limited to shortstop, and he has to move to third. Well, or, I think they're moving to third anyway, right? If they go to the in, Mets, because of Lindor, yeah, but but Lindor at short, but right? they but, but they're there. also yeah, they're like they're counting on him being that good defensively wherever he plays. And, Absolutely, and then Absolutely. It, you know, and then if it's and who knows what it is, if it's his shoulder, then his power is sapped. If it's his 
ankle, then his base running is hindered. I mean, it's bad. It's really bad, and I feel bad for the guy because this is now embarrassing for him, even though it's just Very much his so. body Very breaking much down. So. But yeah, well, especially because you know, and I'm sure this was Boris and and company, but they kind of looked like they were out of went out of their way to embarrass the Giants on this. You know, oh yeah, kind of like oh well, we just disagree about you know what that really showed, and and he kind of made it sound like the Giants were trying to get out of the deal and they were using sort of a pretty shaky thing. And then the Mets looked at the same medical and went, Oh, oh. no, this is oh, bad. Yeah, this is bad. This <laughs> yeah. Is really bad. No, I mean look, Boris was doing what good agents do, which is right. they they put the the best possible spin on a very bad situation. But the Giants to me looked like a rinky dink organization right. for letting for like making this big splashy move and then letting it slip away. And now I think they're just Walking around, whistling and can grinning, and their hands are in their pockets, <laughs> saying, and they're skipping we, down we the got street. Mitch, we got yeah. Mitch Hanniger. We're happy with that. We're good. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, uh, I really think that they must be the happiest franchise in the sport right now. Oh, I think they got to be. All right, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no diet coke for Joe. The podcast whoa—it's one last whoa. And uh, why don't you go first? I have to ask you if I have yet discussed the topic of ramekins. No, no, ramekins are wide open. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I have Pretty a sure. I have a distant memory of discussing ramekins. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. I don't listen to this show. Hmm. All right, then I'm going to talk about sunglasses. <laughs> I, I I fear I fear if someone out there can tell me if I, I've already talked about ramekins. I I, 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 I got to tell you, I feel like you have talked about sunglasses before. Have I really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a Ramekins doesn't ring a bell, but sunglasses <laughs> definitely does. All right. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do Ramekins and sunglasses. Perfect. Ramekins. If you don't know what a Ramekin is, it's a small bowl, very small dish bowl that you put like peanuts in yep. or, or little little thingies. Uh, I I love Ramekins. They're I, so great. I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> uh, my keys are in one right now. It's a great place to put your keys. Uh, yep. I, I eat, uh, my almonds and cashews out of them every day. And my, uh, for Christmas, my wife got me among other things, a set of four colorful ramekins. And it's my favorite oh, thing that I received for Christmas. That's so great. Just want to say I'm pro ramekin. That's all. That's all <laughs> it is. That's my one last meaningless thing. And sunglasses very briefly. We've talked before. Everybody's talked about this a million times. Everybody loses sunglasses, constantly losing sunglasses. It's a lot. It's like, do you buy nice ones and then lose them? Or do you buy cheap ones and then you hate them? Whatever. So recently, um, I was like, you know what? I've lost so many pairs of sunglasses. I'm going to buy new sunglasses, but I'm going to buy six pairs of them. No joke. Six pairs. So I found a a pair of like mid-range sunglasses that I liked, and I bought six identical pairs of them. (laughs) And since I did, I haven't lost a single pair. And so now I just have sunglasses. But no, it's bad. I just have 
I'm swimming in sunglasses. They're everywhere. I can't get away from them. Every time I turn around, there's another pair of sunglasses on my desk or in my car. I put there's th- I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave one of them in my car in case I forget them. But and then that wasn't enough. So I now have two pairs of backup sunglasses in my car. I have two pairs on my desk right now. There's one in my drawer to my right, and there's another one on the console in my office to my left. I can't. It's like I'm. I, I look like a crazy person. I look like a. Yeah. I look like a, a person who has had a. a mental breakdown and has just and is hoarding sunglasses i i love that you will never ever ever lose never again i'm never gonna lose one more not only that if you only owned one pair of sunglasses and i said to you where are the pair of sunglasses you had you would not know you would have no idea you'd be like oh i'll find it and now you know literally where all six pairs there i can see them all and the the worst thing is is that and this is what really makes me look like i've lost my mind they're identical I bought six <laughs> identical pairs, so I looked. I look look like a person. I, I don't know what I look like. I look like an unhealthy person. <laughs> <laughs> so delightful. So such a delightful way to to deal with uh, the sunglass problem. All right, since you did two, I'm going to do two as well. Uh, my first one last meaningless thing is. Uh, so I was just in New York, um, and there is something I do in New York. And I don't know if anybody else does this, if this is a a crazy person thing to do. But uh, I was there and I needed, I was going to a couple of um, meetings and I had places to go. And I was where the hotel I was staying right outside the hotel was one of those uh, buses, uh, tourist buses, right? And, mm-hmm. you, you know, in New York, when you have the tourist buses, you have all those people in front trying to basically get people to come and and ride on the bus, right? Like the hawkers that are like trying to grab people. So one of the goals of my sort of life in general is I want to be able to look like enough of a New Yorker that none of those people approach me. Sure. Like this is is a very important thing to me. So I feel like there are ways to do it, like pretend to be on the phone, walk a, a certain speed, you know, don't, make eye contact, look busy, look like you definitely have New York things going on. Mm-hmm. This has been very effective for me. It's been a very, I've, I've been very happy. And every time I walk by and see the the hawkers going to other people, but leaving me alone, it makes me feel good. Cause I, I love New York and I feel sure. like I'm a part of New York. The, I went to New York recently and, and uh, I did it, you know, used my trick and three consecutive times I was stopped. <laughs> three straight times. It, it makes me so angry. I don't know. I feel like I've lost it. I feel like I've lost the, the pandemic made me lose my New Yorkiness mm. or something. Yeah. So anyway, made me very sad. Humiliating. Truly humiliating <laughs> for you. <laughs> it is. It's humiliating. My other one last meaningless thing is what I've been meaning to say. I, every time I see that one of these... Uh, I think I need to mention this on the podcast. I want to give like super duper huge props to every single person in the movie business who creates like the little, the little baby movie thing that they do to announce what they're producing production company is ah. like at the, at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. like they have that one. I don't know which one it is where the guy shoots the arrow through like a bunch of different uh, hoops sure and and there's one like where there's a car going really fast but every single time i look at one of those i just my jaw drops and i go 
that is so well done. Those are so good. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but, but I don't, I, I assume you put a lot of effort into it, but almost everyone, I wouldn't say it's not a hundred percent, but like 97% of those product, what are they called? Do, you, do they have a production name? cards is what you would tip, typically call them. Production cards. Everyone, yeah. 97% of production cards are like amazing. They're yeah. like, they they make me so, I don't want them to end. Like, I, I'm not even ready for the movie to start. I love them so much. They they end up picking scenes that make me happy. Like there's like, there's like sunlight, you know, that you're going into sunlight or there's, I don't know. They're all so good. Well, you remember the ones from our youth on TV, like Sit Ubu Sit, Good Dog. Yes, Roof. yes. That like was there a- were those, and then like the James L. Brooks one of the typewriter, and then the paper. Yes. For, yeah, that one. Like those are they stick with you, man. And when they're when they're oh, cool, yeah. they really stick with you. Yeah, I loved Sit Ubu Sit. I mean, that was yeah. especially here in the dog. You you of course have uh, you have one on yours. That, Fremulon, that, yeah. And Fremulon, it's, and it's and- Nick it's Nick Offerman saying Fremulon. <laughs> Fremulon Which is the only way. Rebulon. And it's the only way that it works. Yeah. And Dan uh, Dan that, Gore's uh what is is not a doctor production. And and it's me it's my voice saying not a doctor. And then and I did then, not realize that was your yeah, voice. That's my voice. So, yeah, he asked so me to do it. It's very very honored. Because us at the end of uh uh Brooklyn Nine Nine, right, we all as a family go, not a doctor, shh. Yeah. And then Fremulon. <laughs> Fremulon. Because <laughs> they, they go back to back. They go back they go that's back right. to back. Yeah, that's how, like, like, it's it's so good. Yeah, Nick it's Offerman, fun. by the way, Nick Offerman could have like he could do every single like narration for things. Uh, I mean, what, when I when I decided that uh, this was going to be my production card, I was like, well, there's only one person who can read this. <laughs> like, it's got to be it's got to be Nick Offerman. Like, it's just that voice, man. That voice and that that like that gravitas. Does he have a chance to be like the next, you know, the, for, for years, it's obviously been a couple of different people that have narrated like everything because they have such a great voice. Don't you think Nick Offerman has a chance to be that next guy? Like the I, one would, that's I would gonna, say so. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. done a bunch of books on tape for folks that he admires um, and he's done some some of that work. But yeah, he I think certainly as he ages, he could become a Morgan Freeman type guy. A Morgan Freeman type yeah. guy. He could like do the Democratic you know, National Convention yeah. intro or something. It feels like he's got that uh, he's got that kind of voice. Yeah, absolutely. So, so great. All right. Well, as always, we we made it through another another podcast. Please tune in next week. I mean, we don't all, we don't often ask you to come join us, but next week's going to be special. We are we are planning if we can pull it all together. We're going to uh, open baseball cards, which that alone should be enough of a reason. Yeah, to join. If you, you but, I'm sorry. Do you not want to watch people <laughs> or listen to people open packs of unopened 1993 tops baseball cards? Is that I mean, something you don't want? How could that possibly be true? What, what what kind of person, what kind of monster would not want to to, to listen to that? And you will also get a chance to uh, be a part of uh, of a, a pretty cool uh, a pretty cool fundraising. I That's think. right. So next week, check it out, Mike. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me. Pause cast. Boop, 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 boop.